Hey everybody, AJ here. Just wanted to get out in front of this episode and say that the first game they talk about today is The Case of the Golden Idol by uh, Color Gray Games. Uh, but the whole time, Brendan calls it The Curse of the Golden Idol. Uh, for, I think, obvious reasons, if you've played the game, The Golden Idol is pretty bad news. Uh, but the game is called Case of the Golden Idol, so we just wanted to get out on top and let you all know that if you're looking for the game, it is called The Case of the Golden Idol. Uh, so that's it. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the show. into the aether it's a low-key video game podcast my name is brendan bigley i'm Stephen hooker what an exciting day we have here for you dear listener we have so many things to talk about including yes more dragon quest but first (laughs) but first (laughs) do want to shout out uh, a couple episodes ago we opened the show by just saying like hey we have xboxes and playstations and switches and now also have pcs uh via the steam deck um and if anyone wanted to send us codes for things we would maybe play them and talk about them on the show people have done that thank you you know who you are if you've done that um i haven't responded to everybody yet but i will by the time this episode comes out uh thank you to everybody who's done that one of the ones that we got i do want to shout out quickly before we talk about anything else we got a code for a game called the curse of the golden idol um so that's our that's our disclosure we were given codes for this i have played it a little bit and i just want to say up top steven you're gonna love this game did you play the return of the obra din i still haven't that's been on oh my, my backlog God. for forever yeah honestly that's a little bit even more exciting for me that you haven't played that <laughs> because uh-huh. this game feels like a fun companion piece to curse of the obra din in, cool. in, a, in, a, in a really wonderful way um the curse of the golden idol what i'll say about it because i don't want to spoil too much for you but the, the the way the game works is you are just presented with a crime scene uh there's just like a kind of one panel crime scene in front of you you'll see like a dead person obviously um and maybe an alive person so you kind of know who did it immediately and a bunch of things that are scattered around the scene uh, so the very first one they show you is like there's a guy standing at the edge of a cliff and he looks very angry and there's a dead person at the bottom of the cliff kind of floating in the water beneath the cliff you can just click on things and as you click on things they'll kind of expand and you'll see like if you click on the dead guy like it'll expand and you, you'll see what he has on him like you'll see all the things that he died with all of his accoutrement um, six gold the potion of minor magica uh, you're not super <laughs> wrong about the first scene which Ooh. heavily relies on counting how much uh people have in terms of bags of gems oh on them, my god uh, yes. which is kind of how you how you solve that one yeah um i don't want to say too much again but it'll it'll open up this like kind of playing field of all the things that they have on them and using all of this information and the notes that they have um when you're reading their notes uh, you can like click on names you can click on like ideas and places and things you know you can open up a map and click on places um and you need to figure 
figure out who killed who, who is who, like just seeing all the names and all the notes and stuff. You have to you have to drag and drop the the like first and last names of people into these slots. That's like this person killed this person by blank, like pushing them off a cliff uh, in, you know, what area of this island. And you need to look at the map and use the context clues of the scene that you're given to figure it out. You know, like there's one case in particular that I'm thinking of where you can see a sailboat floating on a river behind you. And if you look at a map, there's like only two places that could possibly be. And you can kind of use some context clues about some other stuff to figure out like, okay, because there's a river here, it eliminates many of these options. So it's got to be one of these two places, things like that. So it allows you to do this, this like really kind of quick deduction just based on these words that you're given. And all the words will kind of separate themselves into different things. Like here are all the names, here are all of the like verbs or adjectives, here are all of the places, here are, you know, whatever. Like there's, there's one case that heavily relies on you figuring out which of the three outfits somebody is wearing for either uh, lunch, hunting or researching uh, and, and you need to figure out like oh they were wearing their hunting outfit so maybe you know something happened to them while they were hunting or this is definitely their dinner outfit maybe something happened to them while they were eating dinner were they poisoned things like that oh the person is researching spontaneous combustion like maybe something horrible happened to them while they were researching that yeah but uh, the reason I wanted to bring this game up especially considering we're still in spooky season uh, is there is a curse of the golden idol and you can tell pretty immediately that this golden idol that some people found in the very first scene is in some way affecting and leading to the deaths of many people, which is a really interesting through line of this whole thing. I haven't gotten far enough in the game to really kind of dive into like what the curse of the golden idol is, but it's clear that like great misfortune befalls anyone who is even remotely close to this thing, because in the background of every scene I've experienced so far is the golden idol itself, which is a thing that I think these two people dug out of the earth as they were excavating a bunch of gems in the, in the beginning, in the very first scene where one person pushed the other person off of a off of a cliff so i i think the game you know like all good puzzle games is able to uh take this idea of deduction and take this idea of like problem solving and and solving a mystery but distilling it down into like literally one panel the most i've seen at this point is now two panels where like you have one panel and then you can move into a house next to the first panel and see some more stuff um in that case somebody had like thrown a bunch of notes into the fire tried to burn them but like didn't do a good enough job so you can read a bunch of them and like take little pieces of information out it's really really spectacularly well done i i I really am like so drawn into it i love the art style i love the like sound design the way the whole thing works it's just it's just a joy uh and i i would i would i would recommend you dear listener check it out and steven you should definitely check it out because yeah you have it. um it's great it's a great time you sell me on it looks awesome and i also think it's worth stressing how hard this is to do well yes it's like even game like i love ace attorney but we've often discussed how like the investigation parts aren't quite as compelling because ultimately it's like you just gotta sort of find everything eventually yeah. and it's obviously made enjoyable because of how good the dialogue is and like the music and the atmosphere but on a mechanical level it's not as interesting as like being able to actually make deductions and catch mm-hmm. like lies happening in the testimony with the evidence you have it sounds like they've combined that where it's like you're finding the things and then in that exact moment you're also able to make your own deductions which i think is really important yeah they do a really brilliant thing as well where you have the ability to just click on um this toggle that will make all the clickable objects in a scene sparkle a little bit so you can just go in and say like i'm gonna play this like an old school adventure game and just click on everything and like hope i find the stuff but if you don't want to do that if that sounds a little bit too tedious and like it's the year 2022 and we're we've moved kind of past that i feel you can have a, a more kind of straight 
streamlined experience where it's like, let me click on everything, get all of these facts together and get all the words assembled down on the bottom in a way that I think like makes sense. And then try and piece all the puzzle pieces together uh, because you, you go between these kind of investigation and uh, thinking modes, it's called, where think mode will like bring up profiles or portraits of every single person in the scene. And that's, you know, step one is like figure out who everybody is first. Like step one is like just take all these names you've gathered and assign them to places or to people. After that, there might be a thing on the left or the thing on the left is always like, okay, who's involved? What happened to them? And where did it happen to them? And like sometimes why as well? And then on the right, there'll be a third panel that will just kind of be like a contextual like information about a place. Um, So the first one, for example, is the two people uh, and the cliff. And you just need to say, like, who pushed who off the cliff, essentially? And and in what bay? There are three bays on this island. In what bay was the person pushed into? And you need to figure it out based on the scene that you're looking at. And the middle section is just assigning names to faces. So just saying, I know who each person is. And then on the right, you get to see the map. And you can say, like, where's it, it asks you where the base camp is that they that they were staying at. Uh, and you need to figure out where the base camp is as well. And I like that structure of, like, at yeah. any given time, I just really need to know who is who, what happened, and where are they yeah uh it honestly makes things very helpful and of course in the background lingering at all times is a golden idol (laughs) it is brilliant and it's i I think it's worth bringing up even though i'm pretty early on in it and you haven't played it yet i think we'll probably want to talk about it again later because it does seem to be kind of one of the like sleeper hits of the year as well just based on the way i'm seeing people talk about it online but it's worth bringing up today because later in the spooky season section we're gonna be talking about like an old school adventure game which i think gets a lot of the things that the curse of golden idol gets right incorrect um (laughs) in ways that are still fun and like charming in its own way and we'll talk about why that is later i'm on the same page we're gonna have a fun conversation with that one yeah but curse of the golden idol was so refreshing to jump into after playing that i'll just say it i mean it's it's in the title grim fandango is the game i'm talking about yeah after you know a session of playing grim fandango for two hours jumping into curse of the golden idol for like 30 minutes was this like refreshing mint after after a meal you know it was like oh my god i can't believe how much nicer this is uh to to experience i do think that having been said uh you should at some point check out return of the Oberdin. like just put it on the back burner check it out when you feel yeah. like it's right that was like I, I think we always allude to the fact that before we had steam decks like there was always a pc game that we couldn't play and return of the Oberdin was the first one for us was like yeah. the first like game of the year candidate for everybody that you and i just had no access to there's always one we miss it's like Oberdin and outer wilds and uh disco elysium are the three games that people constantly ask me to play yeah i will say though just to plant the seed of a one day maybe episode (laughs) disco elysium on steam deck is really appealing to me i feel like i i I want to maybe give that game another shot i do really admire it but i just didn't really love the act of playing it but i i like all the things people who love that game like so like Mm -hmm. i have it in me to really love that game and i just feel like maybe on steam deck i will dig into a little more than i did on my macbook if that makes sense so yeah. just, just a quick aside on that yeah oberdin was the original maybe one day we'll get to this hit uh yeah. game and I did play it. I remember it came out on Switch yeah. eventually um, and loved it. And that game, I, as much as I love, I mean, the art style is like second to none. I oh, think yeah, that, that so art cool. style is just shocking yeah. that, that they got that to work. But um, that game, I did run into the like, what am I supposed to be clicking on problem a lot. Yeah. Uh, and it was so refreshing for like literally the first thing that happens in the Curse of Golden Idol when you hit start game is like, do you just want like sparkly bits on all the stuff you can touch? <laughs> like, yeah, I do. That sounds great. 
Thank you so much. Yeah, again, it's it's just tough to do. Even even the best games in this type of genre, like sort of deduction, point-and-click visual novel type games, like there's still a lot of room for improvement. You yeah. know? I think yeah. what Ace Attorney does so well is they make dialogue feel like a fighting game. There's even mm-hmm. like punching sound effects when someone's mad at you, which I think is just the funniest thing ever. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to play Golden Idol. It sounds great. Yeah, I think you'll like it a lot. Uh, that's available on Steam right now uh, and works right on the Steam Deck. So Hell yeah. I'm on the fourth investigation on that game and uh liking it a lot oh yeah it's uh it's good it's like reading a good book that's something we'll definitely revisit i think yes i also i i'm slowly but surely getting through great ace attorney chronicles i feel like that's something i would love to maybe revisit one day oh yeah totally yeah i should do that too that might be a fun potential bonus one day i think yeah that was one i put on the back burner after realizing that i should really play the original trilogy first Um, yeah and now that i've done that i should probably go back to ace attorney chronicles it's a great time especially like once you get into what is the second game of the two i feel like ace attorney has like the best and worst thing about it is that like you have to play a pretty good game to play an incredible game Mm -hmm. and it's not a big ask but it's like a tv show where it's like watch the first season it's not going to be as good as the rest but you'll be glad you did it and then there's the payoff yeah so you know i'll just talk about it now really quick that reminds me so much so last week i brought up this game that i was playing called trails from zero that i was enjoying it was my like exercise bike game um, oh, yeah. uh, I was playing it on the Switch. It just got released on the Switch. Uh, it's a JRPG that had never been localized and released in the US. So it was kind of like a big deal. And I had seen a lot of people tweeting about how great it was. So I just assumed it was like a good place to jump into that franchise. Um, and then read a very convincing piece uh, on somebody's Substack. I, I should put it in the show notes. I, I don't remember the name offhand, um, but I'll put it in the show notes. That was essentially like playing Trails from Zero as your first Trails game is essentially like jumping into Lord of the Rings in the two towers <laughs> and i was like shit because uh, I was like three hours into that game and really enjoying it, but I didn't realize how much was going over my head. And this article kind of like outlined exactly what was going over my head. I was like, wow, that all sounds really cool. So I've now gone back uh, and I saw some people in the discord kind of excited about this prospect, but I've now gone back and I'm playing Trails in the Sky, which is the first game mm. in that in that series um, on the PlayStation Portable, which is <gasps> great. First of all, the PSP f- sick. What a yeah. great system. Loving it. But I'm playing Trails in the Sky and it's uh, it's really, really, really good. Steven, right before we started recording realized that he has it on the steam deck which is great yeah one of the first things i did kind of again this is like a corporation's dream but one of the first things i did (laughs) when i got a steam deck was i made a a wish list and saw like which of the games on my wish list were like pretty affordable Mm. so i can get them right away because i was okay what in my steam library do i actually want to download yeah you know this kind of feels again it feels like a wardrobe from 2012 like what do i actually want to wear here yeah so i went and uh and picked up a few games and one of them was uh trails uh, in the sky which is the first one i think yeah on steam it's a question mark in terms of how playable it is but on proton db it's platinum out of the box baby we're going to the skies so i think this might be the beginning of a huge journey for us i'm very excited yeah, the, the thing I want to say to you before you've even jumped into it, and the thing that this article outlined very well for me, is that this is kind of almost like what Monolith has been trying to do with the Xeno series oh. since, like, Xeno Gears. Yeah. Like, Xeno Gears came out on the on the PlayStation 1 and was meant to be, like, I think part five of six. And they were going to, like, jump around this thing that, that I think they called the perfect perfect world. Um, <laughs> and it was, it was very, like, Star Wars ending saying yeah. it was, like, episode four, like, that kind of situation that's what xeno gears was supposed to be then obviously it didn't happen because the next thing was xeno saga so it was like oh well hit reset on all that and we'll try again and then that didn't work out either and then xenoblade chronicles kind of feels like they're finally getting their footing and like telling the 
this large overarching story that's like about an idea trails is that like trails like has been that since day one trails in the sky is the beginning of this story that has been ongoing for about 15 years now wow um and is like a big continuous arc trails in the sky is three games and then there's three games after that and then three games after that so it's like a a series told in trilogies so you can hypothetically pick up any of those trilogies and like have a good time but everyone who's done it seems to recommend like even if they've jumped in in the middle everyone recommends just go back to the beginning because what i've even noticed playing trails from zero and jumping back to trails in the sky the gameplay and like the combat mechanics and stuff are like exactly the same it really oh interesting feels a little bit to me like um the voice of card stuff where it's like they got all the basics down and now you can just tell stories in that but like on a much grander scale uh because it is like a full you know 30 to 40 hour jrpg uh, every single time that you're playing this is really fascinating because i feel like in all the jrpg series we've fallen in love with there's usually a very different approach at the episodic nature inherent to games yes so like you know Dragon Quest kind of feels like the retelling of a myth or a bedtime story where Mm -hmm. like it's always kind of the same, but there might be like this one might feel a little bit more mature. This one might be a little bit more somber or whatever. They might be focused on different things mechanically, but like, you know what you're getting into. It's going to be high fantasy medieval setting final fantasy just like clear the table new game different house even like you know yeah. just like, maybe even different combat style yeah. entirely yeah basically a new series every time which i think also is cool but it's like that's what they're doing mm-hmm. and weirdly enough i i don't see often this idea of like this is just actually gonna be a long story yeah you know that's that's honestly really cool i'm excited to experience that yeah i'll i'll say this much also just from what little i've played of trail sub zero i mean I played, you know, the first opening hours, but that's not even act one in most JRPG stories. Um, You're just doing chores. Yeah, exactly. And what I've played of Trails in the Sky as well, which is, again, like the first couple opening hours, there's a lot of overlap already. And I'm already like it was it it was very interesting to jump back into Trails in the Sky and see the beginnings of ideas that are stated as fact in Trails from Zero and knowing that there's going to be a slow buildup and that I might feel totally differently about that idea. I was planning on bringing Trails from Zero to the show because I was loving what that game was doing. Um, It has a lot to say about the idea of police reform and like how fucked up maybe that even is as an idea. Uh, Just the idea of like cops as an extension of like government oppression was like very prevalent in the first opening hours of that story about a bunch of teenagers who joined the police force (laughs) um, and are like, we're going to do great things. And they're like, yeah, you're just tools of the government. It's like, okay, that's very uh, full metal alchemist. Yeah. And uh, a a lot of the beginning of that game kind of juxtaposes them against this other group called the Bracers, which are like people actually doing good. It's like a it's like a volunteer organization of people like actually like stopping crimes, and like doing actual good in their community. And and Trails in the Sky is like the beginnings of of that group. Interesting. um, Oh, cool. Which is very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I I wonder if you would have like entering zero, you probably have the dramatic irony as the player of like, okay, they're the baddies right now. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, yeah. I, I I don't even know. Like, maybe by the end of Trails in the Sky, I'm going to be like, wow, they're called the Bracers. Like, maybe the Bracers suck. I don't know. Because yeah, the, first, the first one you meet in Trails from Zero is this, like, braggadocious guy with, like, uh, like a fencing sword who just, like, disposes of a boss that you're too weak to fight. <laughs> um, and then and then the kids that you're, like, in the middle of trying to save are like, wow, he's so cool. And you didn't do anything or help at all. <laughs> That's uh, so funny. And then uh, you, you you go back to, like, the police station. You're, the police chief is like, foiled again by the bracers you know it's like very like jay jonah jameson it's so funny 
Um, That's amazing. Yeah, there's a lot of really interesting ideas. Sort of a vigilante. Yes. Yeah. That kind of reminds me of a lot of the the ideas explored in V for Vendetta, at least the comic, where like oh, there's yeah. sort of the like romanticized vigilante who's like also doing really fucked up things, and then there's yes. sort of like the system as is, and sort of the like yeah the well-meaning but uh, complacent cop as well. Right. Yeah. And that story, everything is so grim that like both are terrible, but like yeah, I no. do think it's it's interesting to explore those ideas yeah and to know that this story like started in 2004 and is continuing even today like it's not done yet i think they said they're like 60 percent of the way done with the story they're trying to tell is so impressive yeah and it seems like they're just trucking along and still doing it and that's very cool oh i should also mention they're by xseed games or sorry they're they're by a company called falcom but they're published by xseed games which is like our new favorite oh yeah uh, the uh, new favorite uh, publisher the rune factory team rune yeah. factory and sakana of rice yeah. and ruin it's uh, so funny amazing we're big into genetically modified seeds here sponsored by monsanto <laughs> um so yeah. I, I saw and i had to go for it that's our that's our trails in the sky through line of this whole show <laughs> there's a new hit rpg from our friends at monsanto <laughs> so fucking Mon- cool. monsanto quest monsanto quest <laughs> I can't, actually can't believe someone hasn't made that in the in this era of farming sims. I just like I guess they're kind of like Jojo Mart in uh, Stardew Valley. Anyway, um, <laughs> speaking of uh, Monsanto Quest, we have and speaking of JRPGs that we love, I know you have been playing the first entry. Oh yeah, in the Dragon Quest Builders series, which <laughs> I don't know if it's a hot take, but it's what we've said many times. The Dragon Quest spinoffs are all like incredible. Yeah. Like you would think a series that's that big would have like cash grabs. Like Rocket Slime on the Nintendo DS had no right to be as good as A Link to the Past, and it was <laughs> like it's just. Like, <laughs> It's just they they're just all at least really bizarre in a way that's compelling. Yeah. And yeah, and and not to like dunk on them too hard or like make the comparison too hard, but the the way the Dragon Quest Monsters Joker games look on the DS versus the Pokemon games that oh were their God. contemporaries yeah. at the time is like a night and day. Like, how did Square Enix know to do this with this hardware? And <laughs> literally Nintendo did not. You know? Yeah, it's it's really it's really wild. What's cool is like they're all like obviously there's like you can tell the mainline quest is prioritized or like the mainline Dragon Quest games are like that's what they're yeah, that's what they're riding on. But like I do appreciate that it doesn't seem like there are any major at least from how it looks and plays, it doesn't seem like there's any like major budget constraints for the spin-offs. Like there would be for like straight to video Disney sequels or something where yeah. it's like you you could tell this wasn't given the same love and care. Yeah. And I think Dragon Quest Builders is the most like they went so all out on this and didn't need to yeah like if i had to just rank like all dragon quest media dragon quest builders would be amongst like my favorite dragon quest games it's like Mm. it's such a good time and it's also really unique because i think it's easy to look at it and think like okay this is you know dragon quest but minecraft but like while there's obviously shared influence there like it is at least dragon quest builders 2 is a game very much about building engines almost it almost feels like you're tricked into game design because the game (laughs) begins with like okay get these materials to build this but then all of a sudden x things need y to function and then like they sort of operate without you Mm -hmm. so you're sort of putting sustainable systems in place to exist without the player which is a really cool take on sort of a town builder survival resource game. You know, it's, it's really cool. I love that game. 
Dragon Quest Builders 2 is worth mentioning is available like on most things. Um, yeah. Specifically, it's available on Game Pass. And I think it also just got added to PlayStation Plus as well, uh, like the subscription version of it. So that game is like widely available. It's also on Switch and you can get like a 10 hour demo. It's called a jumbo demo uh, when you download it. <laughs> you can play that game for literally 10 hours before you have to purchase it on the Switch, which is amazing. I will say it's got a bit of a slow start. Yes. Like I, if, you, if you jump into Dragon Quest Builders 2 because of our glowing recommendation, which I would encourage you to try it if anything yeah. I said sounds interesting. There's like a tutorial on a pirate ship, basically. And then there's like another tutorial on the beach. I, I won't spoil it, but once you set sail with your friends from the beach, that's like when the game actually starts. Mm-hmm. So I would, <laughs> and that's like a decent amount of time. So like, just give it that. And if you're enjoying it at all, you're going to have the time of your life once the game like actually begins. Yeah. Uh, yes. So. I, that I think is a good lead in to Dragon Quest Builders 1. Okay, great. Which I haven't played yet. So I'm excited to hear about it. Yeah, so I look, I, I'll be honest, I don't know why I decided to download the demo for Dragon Quest Builders 1 the other day. I think I was just listening to Dragon Quest music in the background while I was like doing work, and that just kind of got me in the mood to like experience a Dragon Quest thing. Um, <laughs> you play it backwards, it says buy Dragon Quest Builders 1. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't do the sequel, buy the, yeah, first, one. Buy the um, first one. I, I was just kind of curious what the first one did you know that the second one improved on it was kind of more of like a fact-finding mission than anything and starting that demo i found that the intro was much looser than the second one because i think the second one is like very interested in like telling a story first and foremost which is interesting and one of the strengths i think of builders like as a game but also like the beginning of the second one you start out on like the ship of the villain uh and they have like a loose tutorial where they like have you repair the boat while it's out at sea to like teach you how to how to build stuff and how to place objects and stuff. Uh, and then you get like shipwrecked and then you're on a bunch of like kind of like fetch quest missions, to, like go get items to be able to like cook food and stuff. And like there's a, there's a lot of kind of preamble before the actual loop of the game starts. And the loop of the second game, as you mentioned, is this idea of going from island to island and building up these like little civilizations and, and making, as you said, little machines where like, OK, I have this whole farmland and people can like farm food and then they'll take that food and put it in a chest next to a kitchen area and they will cook it automatically as well and you just need to like find all the things that are kind of the component pieces of those machines to get them up and running and the more you do that the more people will show up and like flock to your space and that's really cool to like build this little community but it takes a long time to get to that point the first one alternatively really just kind of opens with you like in a prison cell and like god is telling you escape the prison cell by busting up a wall with a stick that I'm going to teach you how to turn into a pickaxe and then put the dirt that you just busted out of the wall down so you can climb up these stairs and then go out. And then as soon as you go outside, they're like, here's a flag, put it in the ground. Now you have a city. And then the first person shows up. <laughs> I was about to say that's very oblivion. And then it wasn't. But oh, yeah. there was that initial God or Patrick Stewart talks to you in a cell <laughs> and then you escape. Yeah. So what I found, you know, first of all, the game just kind of gets going very quickly, which I really appreciated. Yeah, there is less going on. There are a lot of improvements in Dragon Quest Builders 2 over the first one, I think. 
stuff like farming doesn't exist in the first one. Like you can't like actually like build a farm and grow your own food and stuff. You need to like go out into the world and like harvest mushrooms and harvest like pea pods off of vines and stuff like that. You do need to go out personally and get the get the food that's going to be cooked. But it does retain a lot of the same stuff that the second one has. This idea of like if I build a kitchen, people will just automatically cook food. If I build like a workroom, people will automatically do this stuff. If I build like a forge room, people will take you know the the ores that i am harvesting and turn them into into like bars of copper and things like that that i can then use to make other stuff they have all of that going on and i was glad to find that that was the case still because i think without that i would probably have bounced yeah but what this game gets right i think immediately is the vibe of dragon quest which is a thing that you and i talk about a lot which is like this kind of imperceptible overarching energy that dragon quest has like the world of all the dragon quest games just kind of like sucks you into them like telling a bedtime story um and that paired with something as like creatively focused but also as kind of grindy as a dragon quest builders game can be in like a good way really is like a a chocolate and peanut butter scenario the thing that i have really been struck by and i don't know why this game is hitting me more than the second one is in this way is this idea of like why Minecraft itself never went in this direction because interesting I just remember like I remember when I was in college my roommate was a game design major and, right, yeah. and I knew a lot of other game design majors as well um, and it was like around when Minecraft was like starting to get big like you know the, the, these game design majors that I knew were like kind of in the know and were like hey you got to check this thing out and I remember the first night I played Minecraft I like literally stayed up all night and I did not do anything except play Minecraft and in those days there wasn't a lot going on in that game really it, it was just like at nighttime enemies will come out uh, there are like a couple kinds of things that you can do but like really you're just mining down into the earth and seeing if you can find diamonds and like that's the whole game really yeah. like what can you build with the stuff that you have you definitely needed someone to like point you in the right direction because otherwise you'd be totally lost yeah, yeah and, and that was it was really helpful for like me and my roommate to sit there and we were both playing it literally all night uh, just like shouting back and forth about the things that we were finding like we didn't even have the ability to play online because we were in our college dorm like we couldn't like set up like a server or whatever so it was just like us like yelling back and forth to each other from each other's beds just like what did you find what did i find well you know whatever i built a treehouse. i am down in the earth uh i fell into <laughs> lava etc etc that was like a really magical experience and the more time i devoted to playing minecraft the more i started to feel like i i wished that there was more to do because the pace at which i was playing it was outpacing development of it yeah uh, that makes sense at the time, small studio, very few people working on it. Um, obviously, it grew and grew and grew and became a much bigger thing. But for a long time, like that was all there was to do. And I feel like the big kind of shot in the arm for me and my enjoyment of Minecraft was eventually when I dropped out of college and moved back home and like had the ability to set up a server and, you know, invited all my friends into the server. We were all like building stuff together. That was like, oh, my God, this is what Minecraft should have been the whole time. This is very cool. But there was this one update that came out that I remember where they added this ability to work your way towards fighting a dragon. Yeah. Which was like the final boss, quote unquote, of Minecraft. Was that around the same time as the Obsidian Gates where there were the weird pigmen with yes. golden swords? Yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, you could like go to the Nether as well, but they also had like the Endermen who were like these kind of like tall, shadowy figures who would just like kind of disassemble the things that you built. Really bizarre. Uh, but... I just remember when that update came out, this big like flying dragon that was like the quote unquote final boss. It was kind of announced as like 
this is where we want to take Minecraft. Like Minecraft yeah. should have moments like this that you're working towards. And I, I really appreciated that because suddenly finding a diamond in the earth wasn't just another way for you to eventually make a diamond pickaxe, but was this idea of progressing towards an end state. And I know that not everybody needs a focus, right? Like I think a lot of the reason a lot of people bounce off of Minecraft was like, there are no goals. I need to make my own fun. I don't know what to do here. You know, I think a lot of the joy of that game was that it was Legos was like, yeah, you just kind of build whatever you want. You could do whatever you want within kind of a tight confine. And I think that those tight confines of what the mechanics of Minecraft were was enough of a driving force for me and a lot of other people to find ways to engage with that game. You know, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to build a railroad that goes as far east as possible. You know, things like that <laughs> yeah. were the things that drove me in that game. But I did with that dragon update have this moment of like, oh, there could be more here. You know, when they added villages suddenly and there yeah. were like NPCs in the world that you could like trade with and stuff was like why aren't they giving me quests like tell me to go get stuff and bring it back you know like it just it just felt like there was this obvious thing hanging above what Minecraft is supposed to be that to this day they haven't really capitalized on outside of making separate games with Minecraft branding. Like we have whatever that that like kind of uh, Diablo-esque Minecraft game. Minecraft Dungeons. Yeah. Minecraft Dungeons. Uh, there's another one called Minecraft Legends, which also kind of seems like it's trying to be a Dragon Quest Builders-y thing. But, you know, these things exist outside of the main scope of what like Minecraft itself is as like the package you download off Xbox. I know, to be clear, that there are like mods and stuff I could download that would add all this stuff in. But I'm saying like the main crux of what Minecraft is, is not a game that is like funneling you through a story in any way yeah. or form. Um, the dragon was kind of like it for that, uh, unfortunately. And I was always really confused as to why that was the case and why I never saw anybody else trying to capitalize on that, because it seemed like such an obvious thing. The closest we ever got was a game called Cube World, which was in this like hellish development cycle that never was released but was a like voxel based RPG game that seemed like it was inspired by Minecraft and was trying to imbue it with this sense of like, we're going to generatively give you quests to do and things to do. And you will like level up your character and be able to like do it alongside people just like in Minecraft. And it was really a cool idea. And I played an early build of it and loved it, but it just went away. So Dragon Quest Builders just seems like this really obvious thing. Like it seems yeah. like this thing that should have existed and somebody should have done it. It's so strange that it's Dragon Quest of all <laughs> IP to right. just attached to this but it really is a perfect fit because the game has everything that you know and love for minecraft for the most part i mean like at the end of the day if you like minecraft at all you will also like dragon quest builders the thing that dragon quest builders has is a through line is is like a theme which is you know it's not just we're giving you quests but there's like an idea that dragon quest builders is exploring and you've already alluded to it with the second one but you're like building small communities in that game yeah the, the setting of two the war essentially it's uh if you are familiar with like the story of various dragon quest games it's sort of a weird what if of dragon quest 2 where essentially the bad guy won and everyone in the world thinks that creating is a sin yeah. like essentially like when you announce yourself as a builder people are like oh like don't tell people that but then essentially <laughs> you are able to teach people the power of building your own sustainable community yeah in a world that's like kind of 
gone to shit in some ways. Like the first area you go to is all about farming, like you mentioned, but a lot of the soil is like poisoned or it's not able to grow anything. So one of the first friends you make is this giant worm who I love who can like dive into parts of the land and make them fertile again. Yeah. All while your main best friend is Malroth, the god of destruction, (laughs) who can only destroy things, but really seems envious of your power to create. Um, And he helps you like fight monsters. And you also see, weirdly enough, you see like, Sometimes you do have to destroy things to allow other things to grow. Yeah. And like the fact that that's the, these are just ideas floating around and like what could have just been a cash grab is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's a really, it's a really touching story and it's also like it works as a standalone thing and it also is fun if you have any prior knowledge of who these characters are. So it, it works on both fronts. Yeah. And I, I think what's so special about that game is just this idea of kind of changing people's minds, you know, yeah. as you said, like every everybody when you mentioned that your builder just kind of like pushes back against that and is like oh, don't tell people that but then you show them the power of that and why they should be doing it too and then suddenly you have this like community of people who have decided to band together and 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 like create something great and say like maybe the systems that are in place are fucked up and and we have the power to change that if we want to and you essentially like go from island to island like proselytizing the values of building uh, (laughs) which is like a really cool setup for that game but you're doing it with as you said the god of destruction which has this like kind of dramatic irony to it that obviously is going to break bad at some point i never got that far but like there's got to be a point where that That plays out in a very uh cathartic way i will say oh fun yeah Um, so one of the things I also really like about two is that, uh, because building is outlawed and destruction is the rule of law. Once you start building things, even the villains are like, Oh, wait a second. You built a thing. That means I get to destroy it. This is actually very exciting for me because it's been so long since I've been able to destroy something because we've been outlawing building for so long that nobody's built anything that we could destroy in eons. <laughs> in order to be a villain, they need a hero to fight against. So yes. it's like, and they d- they haven't had one. Right. They've lost their own meaning in the absence of creation, yeah. which is so funny. Uh, yeah. The thing about the first game and the, the subtle twist that it has that I think changes a little bit of what the game is going for thematically is that nobody even knows what building is oh, in the wow, first okay. game. So just a blank slate. Yeah. Just complete blank slate. Destruction is the only thing that exists. Um, and when you when you start to explain what building is, people are like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And you need to like literally take them to the workshed and like show them what building is for them to understand the idea of like taking component pieces and making something out of them. Because this this is now a society that's so far gone that the idea of creating a thing has been like lost to time. Like you'll you'll find like pieces of books and and like scripts out in the world and like signs and stuff that allude to an age where people were building things and there were these great, you know, castles and cities that are just completely gone. They've been gone for so long that the generation that lives currently has no memory of it and it hasn't been passed down. So that's like ancient history that's just been lost to time. And you having like literally divine intervention from this god are trying to reintroduce the idea of building back into the world. And by doing so, you're then like the first game teaching people to build and teaching people like what community even is. Because at that point as well, even what I appreciate about the second game is, you know, this idea of, you know, destruction is the only thing that exists, but people are still banding together and like trying to survive despite that. The first game is like everyone is every man for themselves. 
they're just like wandering around in the world, just like eating like mushrooms off the ground and like just trying to survive the best they can. There are no like family units as far as I can tell. There's like nothing beyond just existing for yourself. And you're like trying to change people's minds and show them that being together, that togetherness is important. And that's really charming. <laughs> it's a really, it's a really charming idea. I, I feel like I, I often sometimes have issue with like, you know, always having to be the chosen one in a JRPG, mm. but I think it shows how Square Enix views the Builder series. It's like they are in some ways treating it as if they are mainline Dragon Quest entries. Like you're still the chosen hero. The action is just different. And I really love that. That's mm-hmm. something we talk about a lot where it's like, what is the verb of the game? And like, could there be a version of this game where like it isn't just about killing monsters and leveling up, but it's actually about like, not that it's inherently better, but it's just a really interesting spin on the series. And also, like you said before, it proves that Dragon Quest as a series is more defined by the atmosphere and the world than even the mechanics themselves. Yes, absolutely. Which is really fascinating. One of, I think, the big changes, and you bring up a good point here, one of the one of the big changes between the first and the second game is one of the first things that the god tells you in the first game is you are a builder, but you're not the hero. You're not, oh, interesting. You're not a hero in this story. You are just a person who's teaching other people how to build. You don't have the ability to, like, go fight a, a dragon and kill them. You don't have the ability to, like, overthrow the ruler. All you can really do is, like, create communities, and you need to be okay with that. And that was, like, a shocking thing to have yeah. at the end of the tutorial was, like, you know, this this kind of, like, long thing that's, like, teaching me how the game works to finalize that by just saying, like, oh, yeah, and, and you're not going to be the one who saves the world. You're just going to help other people do it for you was a really cool idea honestly that also seems to be like as much as dragon quest is always about a chosen hero that idea of not being the hero but being like a supportive role to others is also central to a lot of dragon quest games specifically five yeah and I, I like how that idea just sort of percolates every now and then in various forms. Yeah. And, and we've talked a lot about how, you know, 11, the first spell you learn is heal. Right. You know, you're not like that strong, but you kind of exist to like heal the other party members is really, I think, a powerful. Yeah. Thing. And 11, I think also is questioning the role of the chosen one in general. I mean, th- one of the first things that happens is like you're imprisoned for being the chosen one, which is right. very early. Not not really a spoiler. Yeah. Yeah. You'll get to that in the demo and then you'll end up buying the game. It's good. Yeah. Speaking of the demo, what I learned the hard way is that the Dragon Quest Builders 1 demo does not carry over into the main game. Oh, no. Because I made it to the end of the demo and thought, like, I am so sold on this because the demo leaves off in a great place. And I was, like, immediately sold on it, picked up the full game and then loaded it up and then realized that that wasn't the case and Googled it and then confirmed that that wasn't the case. (laughs) And I just, like, whipped through the opening stuff again. Uh, So, I'm, you know, I don't feel like I've, like, wasted my time or anything. But uh, just a heads up there. That if you are interested in checking out Dragon Quest Builders, the first one specifically, download the demo, play it for like 30 minutes. Like once you have some sense of agency and you've gotten past the part where they're just teaching you how to play the game. And if you like that, don't wait until you hit the end of the demo before you go buy the game, because then you will feel like you've wasted your time, I think. But that having been said, why would I play this one over the second one? I'm not really sure, but I do think they have different vibes and different things that they're going for. Um, And that by itself is enough for me to consider like sticking with the first one and seeing it through before actually committing to playing the second one. Like, yeah, 
all the way through as well. They do feel like two distinctly different games. And that's kind of interesting. It's cool to hear. Yeah, I mean, because I, I wasn't sure if I was going to go backwards, but you've definitely sold me on it because I, I really love to. Again, similar to the mainline series, just having another take on that established thing yeah. is enough of an intrigue for me. Yeah. The characters that you run into also in the beginning of this game, I think you're going to like a lot as well. Like the, yeah. fir- the first person who shows up is like a very classic, like first villager, like down for anything. Like you teach her how to do everything and she'll just do it. It's very cool. She teaches you like the idea of like rooms, like how to build a room, things like that. The second guy that you save is the only guy with any sense of understanding of history and won't stop telling people about it and just like annoys them because he won't stop talking about like how cool (laughs) the previous age was, which is great. Uh, He's like this big kind of like Hercule looking guy, like other Toriyama stuff. And uh, the third person who shows up, and I think it's the same for everybody, but the third person who shows up like just wanders into your city by accident uh, and doesn't really know what's going on but is like yeah i don't think i'll stay here for very long but i do like the fact that you have like a roof that seems interesting (laughs) this shelter thing seems pretty hip yeah Yeah. um and like slowly over the course of time you can see him like starting to warm up to the idea of like living with other people and you know working at all (laughs) like with others uh it's it's really it's really compelling it's it's a great game and also similarly i think like dragon quest builders 2 has the same like hopping from island to island idea oh Um, cool which is which is great. Um, it seems like like the second one, there is one main city that you're trying to like build up and make bigger, but you are going and like helping people around the world as well. Yeah, I, I liked that mix of like on each island, there's like a specific goal, but then you have sort of like your own playground to experiment yeah. in. Yeah, it's really it's really well done. So I'm playing that on Switch. It's really good. It's available on like pretty much everything also, including I think it just came out on iOS earlier this year. Oh, uh, no so, way. That's cool. Yeah, if you have a you have an iPhone or an iPad, you can play it on that. Um, but I think having buttons and stuff is really. Yeah, I think so, too, because there's also some fighting as well. At least in two, yeah. there is. Uh, yeah, the fight. I'll, I'll say that that's the one thing that I think two gets right that one absolutely does not. And it's almost ironic then that they're like, you're not the hero. You're not going to be good at fighting because like so many of the quests are like, go fight this thing. Um, <laughs> and the fighting, it feels significantly worse in the first game. The second one, it's a lot of like hitting something and then needing to kind of like get them to try and hit you. And while they're winding up their attack, you need to like run behind them and then hit them. And then just you're just running back and forth I see. Like, behind them over and over again. And very frequently you'll run into them and it's like a Mario situation where if you like touch an enemy, you'll just get hurt immediately. So you just end up taking a lot of damage, like just trying to play strategically and you can't really. But eventually you start getting some warriors in your city and then you don't have to do as much of the fighting. Uh, and that's very helpful as well. Yeah. And two, like it's it's pretty simple real time combat. But I feel like what helps is that fighting is sort of like uh, your relation with Malroth. So like Mm -hmm. making him better weapons and like he's always pumped to fight and kill monsters. So like there is sort of a narrative link there that I think because I think the second game feels more focused on that relationship between the builder and Malroth than like everyone else kind of feels like a fire emblem extra where they're Mm -hmm. like, here's my thing. That's all I am. You know, (laughs) I'm hungry. That's it. Yeah. But I think the Malroth friendship is, is really compelling. Yeah. You should check out the first game at some point. Just get the demo. See how you feel about it. Just try it out. Do you want to take a quick break and then come back and talk about more stuff? Yeah, that sounds great. Let's do that. Let's do that. Talk to you soon. Goodbye. Bye bye. Check it out. I don't actually let me check before I say that. (laughs) But I'm pretty sure it's not anything else yet. You're very confident. So I believe you. 
It's great on Zoom. It's great on the Steam Deck. <laughs> uh, there's also a very famous book called The Curse of the Golden Idol, as it turns out. Oh, cool. Part of the Chronicles of Jack McCool. Jack McCool? <laughs> Jack McCool. I love that. Oh, my God. Does he wear sunglasses? He wears nothing, Stephen, as it turns out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. Let's see. Walmart.com. All right. Let's go this. <laughs> oh, yeah. You weren't kidding. Okay. This might be malware. I, I can say definitively that the Curse of the Golden Idol, part of the Chronicles of Jack McCool, is not related to the Curse of the Golden Idol, the hit 2022 deduction video <laughs> game available for Steam only at the moment. Got it. Well, I'm glad we cleared that up. Yeah, I'm also glad we cleared that up. <laughs> We are back. It's spooky season. We're almost, we're officially halfway through the month. I was about to say we're almost done. I was jumping ahead. It is October 16th. <laughs> we are not almost done. We've got plenty of scares ahead of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of which was my PS2 not properly working and preventing me from streaming Silent Hill 2 as planned. But it kind of worked out because the stream instead of Silent Hill 2 was the Resident Evil remake, which we talked about last week. So if you wanted to see that a little bit and have me as your Virgil, into the hell of the mansion (laughs) uh that will be on our youtube probably sometime this week so that also threw off okay well now i should play something else and you had mentioned that you were playing grim fandango and i was like you know what let's both play the same thing for once in this section yeah i played grim fandango a long time ago and i have very fond memories of it but i haven't played it like at all recently so i i just put in like I want to say 90 minutes to two hours of Grim Fandango. So this will be first impressions, or at least like we'll be talking about the early hours of the game, at least from my perspective. Mm-hmm. Maybe you got farther in, but yeah, I'm, I'm quite a bit further than that, but uh, yeah, I, I can talk vaguely about it. I'm not going to. Yeah, anything away. I don't think there'll be major spoilers here, but you know, if, if you want to go in blind, obviously maybe avoid this, but uh, yeah. So all that to say one quick pin on Silent Hill. I feel like that's been, I don't want to force this on you, but I feel like it might've been fate because I feel like doing like a Silent Hill episode at some point would be really fun. So maybe that that's okay. like in the cards one day. Yeah. I've always wanted to play those games. So I think you would love them. Um, yeah. And I haven't played one or three. So in my head, I just kind of see the, the hazy fog of a bonus there. Should I start with one or should I start with a different one? The thing about Silent Hill one through three, and I would say like, usually people talk about the original trilogy um mm-hmm. i feel like you would love four because like you have a tendency to like the weird one that like is and i mean that as, as a compliment yeah. but four is like the point where the series started to maybe like deviate a little bit but one and three are more specifically about silent hill as a place so like you kind of learn like sort of like in resident evil where you learn about like okay umbrella corporation like led to x y and z mm-hmm. and silent hill one and three you are a little bit more directly informed about like the cults and like what happened in Silent Hill. Whereas in two, you just get like vibes. Like it's just, Mm. you're in the aftermath of what happened to this place. And like, there are some illusions and like, you can find 
things in the game that might spell out things more directly. But two is very much almost like its own little self-contained experience where the characters in that game that stumble into Silent Hill and are drawn to Silent Hill are all experiencing their own version of Silent Hill. So one of the things about that game that's really alarming is one of the characters is, is a little girl who thinks it's totally normal. Like she doesn't see any monsters. Mm. She just, you know, is like hanging out and having a good time. And James, the main character, is seeing these like awful demons. And yeah. that's the uh that's the first appearance of Pyramid Head, who's become kind of uh, like a horror. The mascot. Icon. Yeah. The Sonic the Hedgehog of Silent He's Hill. He's the Sonic of Silent Hill. Yeah. So anyway, I think you can start with any of them, but I would say like one or two, because I think three does, from what I know of it, it requires a little bit more knowledge, but I'm really excited to play all of them one day and have a more like concrete take. But two is awesome. Like two is such a cool experience. So mm. I would love to talk to you about those games one day. The the big caveat here is that they're really hard to find. Um, like if you're playing it on like console, like they haven't really been ported anywhere and there's a remaster of two and three that's apparently like really bad which oh, is unfortunate yeah but um and these are also unfortunately really expensive to find so honestly i feel like a konami is not going to back them up like emulating is probably the way to go mm-hmm. but if you're like me and really wanted a copy of at least one of them uh you can find them for too much money somewhere uh so that's what i did mm-hmm. but uh yeah maybe, maybe gonna be some steam deck games for me yeah, <laughs> i have two thoughts about silent hill very quickly number one yeah. is uh I just uh, a phrase I can't get out of my head now is pyramid the hedgehog. (laughs) (laughs) So just just needed to say that out loud to free myself from whatever prison was going to keep me awake tonight. Number two, I was just thinking about about P.T., when uh yeah. and and Guillermo del Toro and Norman Reedus like all teamed up for the first time pre-Death Stranding to make what was going to be a new Silent Hill game and they released, Yeah, Silent Hills, yeah. Yeah, if you have, if you haven't played uh PT or if you don't know about PT, it was like a, a a playable teaser is what the PT stood for that was released on the PS4 and uh since Kojima has left Konami unceremoniously they then removed pt like in an act of spite i think against him uh from the playstation store and you can you just can't play it anymore fans have now like rebuilt the game from scratch and like you could play it i think on pc at this point but the original pt is just like gone which is really sad but i just wonder like really like of course it'd be cool to see pyramid head and stuff but i just wonder like do you think he's ever just gonna make a game that's like the initials will be PT, you know, and he'll just like release it and it won't be a Silent Hill game, but like he'll just like go all out with that idea. <laughs> like if he released a ga- like a game called like Paranormal Tactivity or I don't know, like just something <laughs> that like stood that like PT, like it really it was PT clearly, but like just wasn't using this. Like he could do that if he wanted to. Yeah, I feel like he can kind of do anything at this point and people right? will, will will be excited about it. People want it and I think he wants it too. And I, yeah. would, I would love if that was one of the games he was secretly working on because I think he's working on three games right now. He's, he's alluded to at this point. Yeah. One of them is Death Stranding 2. We, I think, know a lot about at this point, like being in development. And then there's two other ones we don't know anything about. Yeah, very curious. I'm always curious about what he's working on. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think just as a selling point, like if you aren't familiar with Silent Hill, it's kind of weird because as a kid, I remember I was like, an immediate Resident Evil fan. I was like in love yeah. with the series. I'm still a big fan of Resident Evil. It was definitely like one of my formative game experiences. And when I would go to the store, like as a really young kid, like eight, nine, in the late nineties, renting games, I would always yeah. see the boxes for Silent Hill. And I'm like, what is this ripoff bullshit? Like, I just, for whatever <laughs> reason, as like a snobby nine-year-old, I just assumed Silent Hill was like mm-hmm. some kind of clone of Resident Evil. But I would say overall, it varies game by game, but overall Resident Evil is much more usually a hybrid of action and horror 
and is usually fairly campy. So even the more horror centric Resident Evils always kind of have like a layer of like either silliness or outlandishness that kind of like aids the experience if you're like a little bit too creeped out. Yeah. Whereas Silent Hill is like very much deeply unsettling, deeply like psychological and and honestly very David Lynch for lack of a better comparison. Because mm. so there's something about a lot of the scenes in two because everyone is seeing their own version of the town the conversations feel like you're not even given the comfort. Like it's always kind of exciting to find another person. Cause you're, Oh my God, you're not just like a walking mannequin. I can like talk to you. Yeah. You're also here. Like, maybe we can help each other, but like you're denied that connection because they're in their own world. So mm-hmm. like there's that, I, I always feel like in a lot of David Lynch films, like the, the way characters talk to each other is so like a little bit off and it like it just makes you feel uncomfortable in an yeah. interesting way. And Silent Hill is very good at that, at least in two. Mm. Yeah. But the voice acting is also kind of campy, which is fun. But I digress more on that someday. I just wanted to give you like more of a, uh, a yeah. expectation for those games. Sure. So anyway, Grim Fandango, complete <laughs> opposite. <laughs> wow. Bless you for trying to go so earnestly into that transition. That was really yeah. funny. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to take a leap. Uh, Grim Fandango is a LucasArts point and click game from the late 90s. Yes. And I believe this is directed by Tim Schafer as well, who mm-hmm. later went on to found Double Fine, which made stuff like Psychonauts, which you love. Yes. Um, and I've been meaning to play for literally years. This is the thing with me and, and like Tim Schafer and lucas arts and double fine and this sort of era of point and click is like i am so on board with it in spirit but i feel like i kind of missed it and i feel like Mm. as we might further discuss there's something really admirable and so fun to experience about this specific era of point and click games because this was a time where games that were narratively focused were not the norm like it wasn't it wasn't a guarantee that the game you played would even have a story never mind a really good one and a really yeah. well written one and i feel like tim schafer has kind of defined himself as an auteur i feel like he's only really rivaled by like actually pixar in, in terms of the worlds that are created by him and his team and like there's always this feeling in his games whether it's day of the tentacle or grim fandango or psychonauts that like you're getting a little piece of what is this giant world that has this really cool history and this like there's such confidence in the inner workings of how yeah this fictional universe functions that it's so immersive and i think that that's you still get that from playing these games but i think because point and click as a genre was sort of like i don't want to write it off entirely but i feel like you know games that are narratively focused have figured out a way to sort of gamify narrative in more engaging ways as opposed to just like finding the thing to progress to get more story yeah and i think we've seen point and click dna in a lot of really awesome games like kentucky route zero and honestly i would argue disco elysium and ace attorney where like all those games are a little bit more either rpg or visual novel but there is this aspect of like we're gonna really focus on the world and on immersion and progress is about interacting with the world in spite of maybe enemies to defeat or obstacles to 
overcome. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's like as an idea, really cool. I think the challenge of going back to this specific like late 90s era of point and click is like sometimes you just want to experience more and the way forward is like so obtuse that it kind of gets in the way of enjoying it. I think that's like kind of the goof about this entire era of games that has yeah. prevented me from <laughs> wading into them at all. Right. Like yeah. that's that's such a well founded and, and like repeated idea, I think, in the discourse about games like this and the Monkey Island games and like even the Indiana Jones game that I have alluded to wanting to play for a long time. Like I'm always I'm always tentative about checking those games out specifically because I know I'm just going to get frustrated and have to Google stuff. What I'll, what I'll say like really high level about Grim Fandango before we even talk about like the specifics of what the game is. I've actually found it very freeing to just Google stuff when I run into issues because um, there have been a couple things where I would wander around for literally 30 minutes and not know what to do. And then the first time I Googled it and found the answer to that was like, I'm never going to let myself just wander around for 30 minutes ever again because <laughs> I want to see the story through because I'm interested in the characters. I'm interested in the world. Yeah. And it's been great ever since then. Like anytime, like I'm not like removing the thought process from the game. I'm not, I'm not having, I'm not removing the moment where I sit there and look at my inventory and decide like, okay, what, what's interesting here? Like what, what could I like maybe fuck around with? But if it goes on for too long at all, it's very freeing to just be like, well, I, I don't have all the time in the world. This isn't the only game I'm playing right now, and I'd like to see it through. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, to just be okay with Googling it. I think I think that's my, my tentpole thought here. If you're going and playing any of these games, Google's fine. Exactly. But I will say about Grim Fandango, it is such a charming world like immediately. Like this is one of my favorite like opening cutscenes of a game. I feel like you get everything you need to know about the world and about the character in a few quick moments in a way that is just so well done. It's like, it's, it's very simple, but I feel like it's, it's so effective at pulling you in. It's essentially like the setting of Grim Fandango. It's very much visually inspired by Dia de los Muertos, where like everyone is sort of one of those ceremonial skeletons. Mm-hmm. And that is a day essentially where you honor the spirits of the dead. And it's also kind of on a more spiritual level, a day where it's said that the dead can like return to the land of the living and reconnect with the people in their lives. Yeah. I've always admired this holiday a lot because I think it's one of the few holidays or celebrations that have a much more positive look on death itself. Like it's yeah, totally it's agree. much more about celebrating the life that was led and, and reminiscing about them. And and you know, if if you are of a more spiritual belief, like actually reconnecting with them in a way and it also has a lot of like halloween energy too like there's a lot of like fun decorations and celebrations if you've seen the movie coco it's largely about this day yeah i would say there's a lot of similar comparisons with grim fandango and and coco in some ways but uh so it's a world of skeletons basically Mm -hmm. but it also is through the filter of like casablanca and I would say like 30s screwball comedies. So like if you look at the box art of this game, it looks like Casablanca, but with skeletons, which is like immediately like, what else do you want on earth? You know, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but the way the dialogue flows, it feels very much like a movie starring Cary Grant or something where it's like just very quick, very witty. The opening scene is essentially our protagonist, Manny, who is, you know, cloaked like the Grim Reaper. And he's talking to another skeleton who is revealed to be a guy who just died. And it's set up 
sort of morbidly where Manny's like, you know, preparing him for the afterlife and then quickly pivots to like, you know, uh, a travel agent salesman trying to sell him different packages. So he's like, yeah. okay, so like, like how quickly do you want to get to the land of the dead? Essentially. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So there's like, you know, this, this cruise ship is one of the packages. Uh, there's like a really fancy fast train and the guy's browsing that. And then Manny pulls up like, okay, like in order to qualify for these packages, you had to have led a good life. Mm-hmm. And it's, you see visually on this like amazing spherical computer that the guy le- left an unimpre- led an unimpressive life so it's like yeah. in the negative so he's like i want to make this work for you and it's just a cane with a compass on it <laughs> um but then there's like a quick power reversal where it's revealed that manny is essentially paying off a debt by being this salesman yeah and it seems like all his clients are people who only qualify for like canes or worse right. and there's this moment where He's like talking to himself to this like very uh, lazy saxophone. The soundtrack is just incredible in this game. And uh, he goes into his office. There's a locker that says premium clients. He opens it. It's empty. And he hangs up his cloak in that space and then takes off these shoes that make him appear taller than he is. And uh, just that one action of him like using the premium clients file as a closet basically for his cloak it's brilliant like there's so many moments like that that just pull you in and give you all the info you need even though this game does have a lot of the esoteric stuff we mentioned it does get you in right away like it doesn't want to make you watch a bunch of stuff like it is interested in you having control over manny and talking to people and learning more about the world as quickly as possible which i really appreciate yeah i just to double back i've wanted to check this game out for a really long time as well just it's it's always really appealed to me and especially once i started playing psychonauts when that game first came out on the ps2 and like loved it loved it loved it i was like i need to know what else this team has done um and you know went back into the realm of tim schaefer and and this game always really appealed to me as something that would be really interesting um and and it took me until now to finally check it out uh it's available on like everything again yeah uh, like like i was saying with dragon quest builders like this is now on pretty much everything at this point and i was so like i i turned it on on switch uh, which is where I'm playing it right now um, before bed uh, just as like, a, oh, I, you know, I'll, I'll jump in for 15 minutes and just see how this game opens and then, you know, put it down, and check it tomorrow. And it ended up playing for like an hour, I think, straight. Like, oh, yeah, I was just so into it. And what I what I found so surprising, not only, you know, all the stuff that you just brought up, which is great, like the world, the characters, all really good. I do think the actual like gameplay of it is a lot more streamlined than I was anticipating because I went into it thinking, I'm going to be just kind of like pushed up against this like friction mat trying to progress constantly, you know, seeing what I could do with this fucking baguette that I got from a festival, <laughs> you know, and like how yeah. how is the baguette going to progress the game for me? Because, you know, as we said, that's like the constant goof with this kind of game. And I found at least in the opening hours of it, there have only been like two times so far where I really did feel like actually legitimately stuck in terms of what I was supposed to do next. So that's been really, really freeing as well. But outside of all of that, I, I think it is really compelling and interesting to know how much of this game is scripted and how much of this game like will account for whatever you want to do as the player. Like, what are you interested in doing right now? Is it hanging out in your office and like checking out every single thing? Is it exhausting every piece of dialogue with literally every NPC that is available to you? Like, how much time do you really want to be spending progressing and how much do you just want to know about the world? The game is extremely lenient 
on that front in a way oh, yeah. I wasn't expecting. And it's been really cool. I mean, I, I've, I've just really enjoyed this world and the art direction is like stunning. Every character is so funny so far. Yeah. They're so weird. I, you and I were talking a little bit off the show about one of the first things that's, that happens is you hear about a poisoning that has happened and everyone's like so excited. It's like, oh, there's gonna be so many dead people. We can go like, you know, trick them all into taking on these like huge expense packages and everyone like rushes out of the building before you even have the chance to hear about it so you're hearing about it secondhand when everybody's already there like taking all the good clients hypothetically and when you go down to your garage to get a driver to take you to the land of the living there's nobody available for you your driver is gone already for the day there's just like the guy who is the mechanic uh and he's like this gigantic almost like child's drawing of a demon yeah he looks like a a real monster character yeah yeah and every interaction with that character made me laugh out loud like that (laughs) character is so and like the further into the game you get he like becomes your driver like your whoever your driver was seems to be like gone in the wind you just have this guy now and none of his lines make any sense really and it's always like Manny's interpretations of his lines that will actually clue you into what you need to do because what he's saying is nonsensical pretty much at all times because he he just seems to be like a gearhead like he just wants to like turn every single like black limousine into a hot rod for some reason uh, <laughs> it's so funny they're like one of my favorite weird solves for a thing uh, <laughs> that has happened so far was uh, you can leave the building that you're working in at any time and if you turn left it's like the day of the dead as you mentioned if you turn left in front of this entrance to the day of the dead that you can't actually go into the festival but you can like talk to a clown who's practicing making balloon animals alongside the festival and you can ask him to make a dead worm and he just gives you an empty balloon back (laughs) which ends up being like one of the key items you need to solve one of the early game puzzles of course it's so like that kind of stuff is so funny like I've had such a good time in ways I didn't expect with the thing that I thought I was going to dislike like you know like going in and getting the dead worm and realizing like oh that's actually the thing i need to solve this puzzle or like there was an earlier moment where you know even if i'm not progressing the game and solving puzzles like just trying stuff is really fun like there's a moment where um it's clear you need to send something down a mail chute to progress but the question is like what are you supposed to send down there and the only thing i had on me was just a loaf of bread the loaf of bread i was mentioning before and you shove this loaf of bread into the mail chute and the next thing you see is this like pre-rendered beautiful cutscene of the bread shooting through the mail chute and then exploding into breadcrumbs in the mail room and like that's all you get <laughs> and that made me laugh so much yeah <laughs> and i just find that this game is filled with moments of joy like that and honestly it's making me start to appreciate this genre that i never ever thought i would have an in with it really is kind of like unlocking for me i think the potential to go back and check out like Day of the Tentacle, which I've never played, and and uh, some of the some of the earlier point and click adventure stuff, you know, like Return to Monkey Island is one of like the biggest I think games of the year on the PC at least, uh, at least in a certain crowd of people that I am very much not a part of, uh, and I would love to work my way up to that game at some point and like understand why Monkey Island is so great. And thank you to to Manny and Grim Fandango for allowing <laughs> that to happen. Yeah, it, it's just like I think you made a great point of saying like even though there's some dated design, it's such a joy to be in the world so like and there's so much dialogue and like one of the first characters you meet is just your secretary who mm-hmm. like can teach you so much about like the rules of the world and it's all like through you know 
like disgruntled banter, but right. like you still learn, like there's already this idea or this theme of what it means to lead a good life. Because even though all Manny's clients are like in the negative for what is considered a good life, you're never really given a reason as to why. So it's like, yeah. you know, I think there's something kind of similar to the good place where it's like, what does it mean? Like, could you actually be a good person? And I feel like a lot of film noir is usually about like redemption or about like, there's usually a sense of past tense narration of like a thing that went wrong. Mm -hmm. So there's usually like either a sense of reminiscing or a sense of like potential redemption or a fall from grace in a lot of film noir work. And I feel like adding that lens to the afterlife is a brilliant decision Mm -hmm. because he's already, you know, a skeleton and his life is over, but he's also at a point where like he's unable to move on to the next thing. Yeah. The implication here that's worth, I think, literalizing is the space that Manny works in is purgatory and they like say that outright they're like this is the space in between the land of the living and the land of the dead and he's you know ferrying people across those two spaces and through purgatory but the immediate implication of that first person who you see is in the negative and they're given a compass and they're told to just walk there also implies that the life that manny led was so in the red that he wasn't even allowed to leave, you know? That, right, that, he's like indentured to work there. Basically. He's done something so bad that he needs to work off his debt before he's even allowed the compass to walk, which is very interesting and I'm sure is what a majority of the game is about. Uh, I'm sure, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I just, I really love like that setup and he's just a great protagonist. Like it's fun to just hear him talk to other people. And like, I think it, it borrows from the, the meter of those genres of film noir and screwball comedy where it's like, it's always like got a really fun rhythm to it. I mean, like the secretary is just immediately a great character and like, mm-hmm. it's just also fun to have a protagonist that has no authority. Like it, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> like this little skeleton walking around in a big suit that no one respects including the like sad clown making Robert Frost out of balloons. Yeah. And it, and, and everything you choose to do as that character just is like admonished. Like you, <laughs> you can't do anything right for anyone ever. And yeah. honestly, even a lot of the solves for a lot of the harder puzzles are like you purposely fucking up and doing the wrong thing <laughs> because you know that like, you know, I can't do anything right. So I might as well do something wrong. And if somebody yells at me, you know, uh, maybe that's better than nothing happening at all. Yeah, like you, I'm really enjoying this. I would recommend checking it out. I think there's definitely a lot to sort of get used to, I would say. Yeah. It's interesting to see like what genres and what eras of games. Like, I really think it's a case by case thing because like a game like Chrono Trigger for me is is a pretty easy recommendation. Right. Like obviously there's some esoteric stuff, but like that's a game from the early 90s that feels as modern as as a lot of other games. Whereas this is a game that's slightly more recent that feels <laughs> farther away mm-hmm. in some regard. But it's just it's so fun to witness the creativity here and I, I really look back fondly on this era of LucasArts stuff where there was just like a lot of really cool ideas that were being explored in a way that I'm sure at the time was like mind blowing. Like it's still really impressive to play now, but like, again, when most games were not promised with a story attached, like the fact that we're talking about these themes of redemption and like purgatory. And another thing I love about Grim Fandango is uh, the land of the living is like really scary where it just all looks like cutouts from magazines. Oh yeah. It's horrifying. It's like wacky deli from Rocco. (laughs) Everything. 
the world of the living looks like yeah, oh my God. and he's like oh this the land of the living always creeped me out i just that little detail of like the way the skeletons or the dead see the world of the living is so abstract and off-putting that they don't want to be there mm-hmm. really cool and i wonder if that will be further developed as well because i again, was just thinking that i wonder if like you're able to go back and forth like, right because i mean that's a that's a in, in coco it's like that's the whole thing where like that's the day that the realms connect basically yeah. and i wonder if like there's a day where they can actually like perceive the worlds yeah and in, in, in the way they did when they were alive it's very interesting it's a very interesting idea but I, th- I think you're right though like bringing up like this is a game from 1998 and it is you know like it, it has a possibility space that feels weirdly endless somehow every single line is voice acted and everything that you can think of is accounted for you know and that's like the same era that final fantasy 7 was the biggest game in the world you know yeah. which is like not to say that final fantasy 7 is bad obviously but you know that game is pretty linear uh, and I think that that was kind of like the best you had in terms of like console narrative at the time. Right. right. Um, and it was still spectacular. But something, you know, what was possible on the PC, as is, I think, usually the case, was far and away beyond what was happening on console gaming even. And you could get really weird, really high budget, high quality shit like Rim Fandango at the same time, um, which is fascinating. Absolutely. I feel like a, a game that felt like a movie in 1998 was like the dream, you know, yeah. and I feel like that informed so much of like because 1998 is like the end of ps1 beginning of ps2 basically yeah and i i, I just see the word cutscene when i say those words out loud <laughs> like that was like you know cutscenes were this novel thing yeah and honestly again like grim fandango it's obviously like rough around some edges but like the character design and the art direction is still awesome like it yeah. looks great and i love these skeletons so much they're really so good i'd recommend checking it out if you are a fan of like psychonauts or double fine stuff like there's definitely like it's a different energy but there's definitely like auteurship there i would say like Mm -hmm. between a lot of these games yeah i'm uh i'm hopeful that i can use what i've learned here to go back and play some other stuff like i I really do i have always wanted to play the monkey island games as well me um, too especially with this new one out that might be a journey for us yeah can i bring up another double fine game not that please do fandango is one but here's here's another game by double fine i've been playing costume quest again uh which is a game that has kind of been lingering in the air for me every year that we do spooky seasons it's like oh i'd really like to check that game out again because i i played it when it first came out on ps3 it came out on ps3 and xbox 360 it was like an xbox live arcade game um and was just on the ps3 as well as a digital download but was this like really small kind of turn-based rpg that was very halloween themed and like obviously felt like a thing that we should bring up in spooky season at some point and last week got added to game pass officially which is really nice the second one has always been on game pass i think like since game pass first existed costume yeah. quest 2 has been there which is pretty cool but the first one was just kind of like lingering in the abyss and i never really knew when or how i would go back to go play it but it getting added to game pass last week was like oh now's the time i'll check it out i made a video about it. it's on our youtube you can go check that out but if you haven't played costume quest obviously it's the time of year to play it so like if you have access to game pass you should definitely do it if you have an xbox and you can play it you should definitely do it i don't know if it's on playstation these days it might not be anymore but who knows regardless costume quest if you haven't played it very double fine e it's like you know kind of the same era as psychonauts in terms of like the way their art direction worked so you'll recognize the vibe of the visuals immediately yeah but totally the idea conceptually is uh there are these two twins that go out trick-or-treating on halloween and uh the first house you go to has a big monster in it 
parent who kidnaps your sibling and throws them over a gate uh, because they're dressed as candy corn and they think it's just a big talking piece of candy. And they're like, isn't this weird? We should show it to the mothership. And then they throw it over the fence. Uh, and you are trying to fight all these monsters and like get powerful enough to break into whatever their headquarters is and like get your sibling back. But the way you do that is really spectacular because depending on what costume you're wearing is what you like metamorphosize into in combat. So you're just like a little kid wearing like a cardboard robot costume in the beginning of the game. But anytime you get into combat, you turn into like an actual Gundam, like a big mech. <laughs> and what I never really clicked with because it's been so long since I played it and we've talked about this kind of thing a lot on the show and it's never been an example. And now I can say definitively it is one. This is a Paper Mario like mm, game. Yeah. Because you are doing the very the same stuff you're doing in Paper Mario where like just classic turn based combat. But there is timing to some of your attacks. There is timing to blocking attacks so you can take less damage. All of that stuff is present in Costume Quest, which I think uh, predates a lot of the other Paper Mario likes that I know of, at least the ones that we've talked about on the show. Yeah. The game really is all about collecting more costumes, though. So like, as I mentioned, you start out as this robot, but the next person you meet who joins your party is a kid who's dressed as a knight who turns into like, you know, big, like classic medieval knight uh, when you're in combat. But also in and out of the world, you can change costumes at any time and all of them will give you different abilities that you can use in the world outside. So the robot costume that you build one of the foundational elements is roller skates and allows you to like zip around the world really quickly, but also like go off of ramps, like makeshift ramps and explore more areas of the cul-de-sac that you live in. It has a very like Ed, Ed and Eddie kind of kids next door energy where it's yeah. like it all takes place in this really kind of contained space. But by getting different costumes, you're able to explore them in different ways. So if you're wearing the knight armor, for example, you can use your shield to block you from things that might be falling from above you. So like a waterfall or if, you know, you go knock a bunch fruits out of a tree you won't get like bombarded by apples so the game is just about like befriending a bunch of kids who live in the town with you and like taking their costumes and figuring out how to better use them to fight enemies and make your way around the world and it's very quaint it's really nice it's a just like a really nice game and like absolutely the kind of thing you should be playing during spooky season uh, especially if you're not the silent hill type <laughs> yeah if what i said sounds terrible play this instead play yeah. costume quest and grim fandango that's definitely yeah. gonna be the vibe uh the, the thing that i'll say about this also is the more i play it the more i'm like this maybe actually is a great entry point for people who haven't played or don't like turn-based yeah. rpg combat you know I, I feel like number one is always gonna be pokemon and number two is now for me like costume quest uh but you can only play in october unfortunately <laughs> it sounds like a very double fine interpretation of final fantasy which i like yeah. and i think they're just really good like they're like the masters of premise where it's like everything starts with like what if this mm -hmm. and then they build this like wildly intricate world and game out of it yeah. and uh I, I really like the idea of interpreting sort of the class system in an RPG and recruiting new heroes and party mates and switching those classes as just actual costumes. Yeah. And the only RPG that's like really just like removed the veneer of that and done that is uh, Final Fantasy X-2 where like they just get different outfits that are different classes. Mm, yeah. Which is, you know, kind of strange, but it's, it is funny that like just by putting on a different hat, I'm a new, I'm a witch now, you know? Yeah. Right. I love that. The, yeah. the closest I've seen, and it's not turn-based, but um, a game that came out 
earlier this year, Nobody Saves the World kind of has a similar idea where yeah. you're like literally turning into different objects and different kinds of things. Um, and, and you're imbued with their powers and their movesets whenever that happens. Um, Costume Quest is very similar to that. It's a great game. It's real. It's like just kind of like a wholesome fun time. I, I, I'm really enjoying revisiting it. You should check it out. I'm actually kind of glad that Silent Hill didn't work because I feel like this is a better pairing. In, in oh, terms yeah. of, of this beat of spooky season, this is like the the sort of general audience chapter <laughs> uh, before I inevitably bring Ebe and Silent Hill three to the show. Or something. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, what's on uh, the, what's on the horizon for next week? What are you what yeah, are you bringing? So if all goes according to plan, because this is going to be from my Steam Deck, so mm-hmm. assuming that I get all of that to work, I'll be streaming Ebe. Um, which I don't think is like, I don't know how heavy that is. Like I'm kind of prepared for it to go places yeah. just based on sort of the creepy atmosphere. But from what I've read, it's, it's more like psychological and, and unsettling than like horrific, mm. which I kind of prefer most of the time. Um, I definitely will be playing Ebe. I might play Devil May Cry 5. I also have here uh, a couple other games. Soma, which has been on my backlog since we literally started the show, yeah, which I know you love. I love Soma. So maybe I'll finally do that. I want to keep some surprise, but I think Eve is like the thing I'm planning on. Mm. So expect that at least. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I have anything spooky season related on the list, but Persona 5 Royal comes to Switch next week. So That's true, which is kind of like dressing up for Halloween. There's like a... <laughs> There's like a, it's like the, it's the goth kids that loved Halloween so much. They just sort of kept going. That's yeah. Persona 5, you know, yeah. Halloween all year. Uh, man, I'm so excited for that. It's going to be great. I am far enough into Persona 4 Golden that I know I will beat it eventually, <laughs> at which case I will have played all. I guess I still haven't played Persona 3 Portable or 2 or 1. So never mind. I have a long way to go, <laughs> but I've played most of the modern iterations at this point. Yeah. And I'm really excited for people who only have a switch to be able to play them. Cause again, as we've said many times, the switch just feels like the perfect place to play these games. Yeah. And, uh, I feel like having four golden on the steam deck and having people be able to play five Royal on the switch. I'm really excited at that idea. It's going to be so good. Yeah. That's, um, if you're listening to this, the day the episode comes out, that's, uh, this coming Friday that that comes out. Um, same day as Gotham Knights, which I'm also looking forward to, despite some uh, less than stellar preview coverage, which is uh, a little bit disappointing. But honestly, there's not a whole lot you could say about Gotham Knights. It's going to make me want to not play it. <laughs> um, I'm just very excited about it. Also uh, worth noting, uh, Persona 5 Royal is coming to like Steam and Xbox as well. So like, yeah. it's not just the Switch if you if you want to play it other places. Yeah. I'm glad Atlas finally got the memo. You know, that's that's my my note here. Yeah. It's like, thank you for porting these games. Me too. And I'm really curious <laughs> if whatever Persona 6 is ends up launching on all those platforms. Like, are they going to unlock themselves from the tyranny of only being on PlayStation and uh, accept money into their hearts and wallets? <laughs> <laughs> I think it really depends because I, I, I could see it going either way. You know, I could see this being like, okay, we we now have seen the benefit on having this like available on all platforms. But it also depends on how much money Sony is giving them to be at least a temporary very uh exclusive because i feel like persona 5 was definitely like in all these collections of like you know ps4 games you missed or whatever like persona 5 is one of the big ones Mm -hmm. like alongside all the first party stuff so like it's sort of a de facto first party game but like i don't know i mean you know it might be a final fantasy 7 scenario where they just like split and go somewhere else we'll see what happens yeah yeah who knows i mean it seems like every once in a while they'll release stuff like only on switch right like soul hackers 2 i think was uh 
was cross-platform immediately, which is like a pretty big release for them this year. So who knows? Should also just shout out that Mario plus Rabbit Sparks of Hope comes out this week, which I haven't really heard anything about considering it's so soon, which is very interesting. I'm wondering if that's going to be like either like a sleeper hit slash success and everybody's going to really like it, or is it just going to fly under the radar? I don't know. I like the first one enough. I'll probably check it out, but um, I haven't like seen or read anything about it at all. Speaking of that, another another Halloween game that's been on my backlog is X- XCOM. I haven't played either of them and yeah. I'm meaning to play that. And weirdly, XCOM is very similar to Mario and Rapids for some reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all exciting stuff. It's true. And, uh, you know, disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. I work for the Walt Disney Company. I work for Marvel. Nothing I say or do uh, reflects the views of my employer. Marvel Snap comes out this week also. Oh, that's right. Which is the new card game uh, by Second Dinner, which is made up of the team that like built Hearthstone at Blizzard and then left to go do their own thing and make what they considered to be like the next best thing after Hearthstone. They were like, we want to like give this another shot. And I'll just say this. I think I'm allowed to say this, but I've been playing that game in like a beta form for months at this point uh, on mobile. It's on mobile specifically and also on PC, I believe. And it is so good. It is so incredible. I'm like so really excited for people to get their hands on it and finally play it. This is like I I would not be as effusive about it unless I really believed it. Just to be clear, this is not coming from a place of like I'm like just, you know, towing the company line or whatever. I don't see Walt's head in the distance. So we're clear. This this is like legitimate. Like I really can't believe how good it is. uh, (laughs) And I've been extolling the virtues of it to everybody I know. And I'm excited for you specifically to play it Um, and a couple other people I know who are also big Hearthstone fans because it really it solves so many of the problems I had with Hearthstone. Whether or not you're into the Marvel of it all, you know, is going to be on a case by case basis. But also I wasn't a big Warcraft fan and got really into Hearthstone. So now you're all about Murlocs. Now I love Murlocs. Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe you often remind me that I was all about Murlocs. Like I had like two Murloc decks. You offered that information freely and I, I'm able to do with it whatever I want. <laughs> it's public public domain Murlocs, baby. Uh, why don't we close this chapter of Spooky Season and then maybe wrap up the episode? Yeah, that sounds good. Thanks for joining us in here in Spooky Season. Play us out, baby. Grand Fandango, Costume Quest, Silent Hill 1 through 4. <laughs> it's your choice, baby. Bye-bye. Costume Quest 2, if you like the first one enough. Now featuring Dante from Devil May Cry. <laughs>
Sometimes, you know, we don't have control over our lives. The easiest path is the right one sometimes. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's Domekeeper. It's really good. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to talk about it more. Cool. That sounds awesome. And with that, I think that's going to be it for this week. Uh, kind of a, I actually don't know how long this one was. So I'm not going to say if it's short or long, but I think it felt felt nice. It was a normal size. length episode. Another normal episode. I'll take it. Another normal episode. Uh, Into the Cast that Online is our hub for everything. Uh, you know the drill. That's links to places to listen to the show, as well as our Twitch and YouTube, which Brendan has been making a lot of videos lately. True. Chronicling your, I almost said SteamWorld Dig Runs, which that's not a bad game, but it's definitely not Shovel Knight Dig. That's a fun game. Hey, it is a good play game. Steam World yeah. Dig. Play Steam World Dig. And Steam World Quest, the hand of Gilgamesh. Yeah. Gilgamech. Oh yeah, Gilgamech. I'm sorry. He's also a machine. Yeah. That's on iPad now too. I think I should play that on iPad. That game's awesome. That was a sort of a Horizon Zero Dawn scenario where that game came out and then Slay the Spire came out roughly 20 seconds later. <laughs> oh no. And it was just like, <laughs> oh my God. Like, but if you like deck builders, that game's a lot of fun. It's really charming uh, and it's a good time. That was like, I think 2018 or yeah, that was, no, that was 2019 because that was Slay the Spire. Yeah. Year of Death Stranding. Thank you, Sam Porter Bridges, for your hard work. Anyway, <laughs> our upcoming bonus this month is going to be Super Metroid and Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Very excited for that. Special thanks to all our patrons who allow those bonuses to be possible for everyone. And we are in the works on planning out what patron content is on the horizon. More on that soon. Uh, links to the Patreon are also into the cast online. Just let me know, hypothetically, one of the ideas that we're tossing around is um, a full let's play of a game that will only exist for patrons and i'm just curious if you are interested in that as an idea yeah let us know honestly always always open to feedback for the patreon space i think it's in an exciting way it's a constant work in progress where we always see it as like a place to experiment and do things that are maybe a little bit outside of the normal scope of the show so like if there's ever an idea that you find exciting or interesting or you want to see there we're all ears you can find our email on our website or you can dm us on twitter uh or message us on patreon we'll we'll check all those places yeah maybe i should make a third email address though that's like yeah do it like, like a rocket mail account or something? Yeah, like hey at into the cast online or something. Info at Amazon.com. Dot biz. Dot Jeff Bezos. Dot Jeff Bezos. Let us know Slash if you want to watch a Let's Play video. Just get us at Jeff uh, and we'll, we'll get to it as quickly as possible. At Jeff.Monsanto and we'll, we'll, we'll do our best magic. <laughs> hey, thank you for listening. We love you. Have a great day. Goodbye, everybody. See ya. Garbage. Uh, online.